Good morning. Hope you all had an awesome Thanksgiving, relaxing. Today we're going to read from the book of Luke on page 1019 of your pew Bibles if you want to follow along. It's Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to him to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Thanks, Mike. So whenever you find yourself in a situation where you are evaluating an individual, uh, maybe you're evaluating somebody for a job, uh, that sort of situation, an employment situation, or, you know, there's formal evaluations, but then there's the sort of informal evaluations that we are making all the time about people. Uh, like, is this the kind of person that I would want to be friends with? Uh, is this the kind of person that, you know, I wouldn't want to, honestly wouldn't want to be near uh, Personally, for any reason, you start to have that sort of sense, like this isn't a person that I would want to spend time with as my sort of a choice that I would make. You start to get that sort of evaluate, uh, evaluation of a person, or you begin to evaluate a person and you, and you think about, is this somebody that potentially I could end up in a relationship with, some sort of a romantic relationship with? And I think that as we do this, as we are evaluating people uh, in formal settings and more frequently in informal settings, there are certain qualities we are always looking for. There are certain basic, essential characteristics of a person that we, we long to see. If we're going to be in a relationship with them, these are things that are helpful. You know, in an employment, uh, in an employment, employment environment, for example, uh, you, wisdom, intelligence, smarts, just do they, do they have the mental capacities to deal with whatever it is that they're going to be assigned? Um, is it going to be somebody that is going to need a lot of help because they really don't have the capacity to do whatever it is that you're going to need them to do? So wisdom is, is something that we see as, as important. When you look to marry somebody, wisdom is important. You want to marry somebody, are they, are they going to be able to help you that as you go through life, there are all kinds of of questions that you have to answer and decisions that need to be made. And so you, you're sort of asking yourself, is this a person that's going to be able to, to contribute well in, in helping to make decisions? Do they have a, a good head on their shoulders for making decisions like this? Wisdom is an important quality. Strength, right? Strength. And, and I think here, certainly physical strength is something that can be helpful, but, but just strength as a person, right? I mean, when you in an employment situation, uh, is this the kind of person that when, when deadlines come and things aren't going well, uh, how are they, are they going to have the sort of strength to deal with it, to handle it? 
uh, to be professional in difficult situations. Certainly, again, if you're looking to marry somebody, uh, you're looking for somebody that has a sort of strength. Are they going to persevere through difficult times, or are they just going to bail when the going gets tough? Right? You're looking for strength. These are qualities that we look for, I think, wisdom and strength. And we could go on and on. I mean, there are all kinds of characteristics that we look for in people. Um, but I would say that perhaps the biggest one, particularly if you're looking for this relationship to, to be something that is lifelong and is, is a close relationship, is there's just this basic fundamental question, and that is, do they care? I mean, do they care? I mean, they, they could have all the wisdom and knowledge uh, in the world. They, they could have a great kind of inner strength, but do they care? Do they care about people? Do they care about you? Do they care about your family? That that, that is a, perhaps the most central quality that we look for. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget, actually, the first time that I met my brother-in-law, my sister's husband. We'd never met, and they, they had been dating for quite some time now. It was starting to get serious, and was getting ready to meet him. She's my younger sister, and so I'm a little bit protective of this. Uh, you know, I was ready to take this guy on. And uh, I met him, Alex, and I literally, I'll never forget just the look in his eyes when he saw me for the first time. And it was this, this look of, he was happy to see me. Gen- it was not like he's, you know, you can fake these kinds of things. There was, it was a genuineness to it that showed me this guy cares about me, hasn't even really even met me yet, and yet he seems to care. And right, it was like the, the best first impression I think a person could make on me, and, and certainly to this day I respect him so much. He's a, he's a wonderful husband for my sister, and I saw that he cares. He just really cares about her and her family, and I think that that's what we look for in relationships of any kind. At the end of the day, all these other qualities matter, but this really central question is, do they care? Now, this week we are in between series. We are in between, we just finished a series on the book of Colossians last week, and we're entering into a new series next week that's going to coincide with Advent. And again, Advent, as I, as I shared earlier, Advent is a time of, of longing. It's a time in which we, in a sense, relive what it was like for the people of Israel who had we're going through all kinds of difficult, uh, difficult times, all kinds of trials and challenges that they had been facing, and they were looking, longing, and waiting for God to return, for his Messiah to come. And so you find all throughout the, the Old Testament literature this, this longing for God, and you find this in the Psalms. You find this longing, how long, God, until you bring justice into this Injust situ- unjust situation. How long until you, you fix the brokenness and the hurting that we find in, in this world? And that's really, in a sense, what Advent is. It's a, it's a longing for us. We sort of relive their experience. And, and then we also, then for ourselves, we hope and we long for the Spirit to come, right? With Jesus' first coming, he promised that the Spirit would come. And so now for us, it's, it's God. I want the Spirit to work in my life, as you have promised, and I'm longing, and I'm hoping, and I'm waiting for that, and I'm, I'm presenting before you the concerns and the needs that, that I have, and my family have, and, and our world has. And so it's this season of, of longing, ultimately longing for Christ to return and to renew and to restore everything, to make everything right. 
And that's why, again, the, the, the tree out in the foyer, which is currently a Thanksgiving tree, is going to be transformed into the longing tree for Advent. In fact, if, if you are interested in helping out, let me know. I know that Carol Thies could use some help in, in a lot of the, the Advent, uh, Advent uh, decorations that are going to be going on in this coming week. But one of the things is the transformation of this tree, where before you were putting prayers of thanksgiving, things that we're thankful for, now you'll have an opportunity to put things that you're longing for. This is just prayer requests. What are challenges that you're facing in your life, the people in your community and whatever it is, you can, you can put that on the longing tree because that's what Advent is about. So we're going to be looking into that. That's, that's, the series is called How Long, and that's going to begin next week. So we're in between series, and uh, today, of course, what we're, what we're actually looking at is just, well, who is Jesus? Uh, this is an important question. If we're going to celebrate the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, if we're going to get all fired up about that, um, it might be helpful to know a little bit about who Jesus is. And that's what the Gospel of Luke, the passage that Mike read for us today, comes from the, the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke was, was written to help us know who Jesus is, that you have the, the, the first generation of Christians, and they want to get this down in writing what they have seen happening in this person of Jesus. And so it's actually it's important to note this, that Luke, the writer, he sees himself as trying to record what happened, that these are not just not just stories that have a nice meaning uh, that we can draw from, which, of course, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to draw from it uh, all kinds of meaning that we can get out of it. But what makes that possible, the reason why that meaning has significance, is because Luke's saying these are things that happened. And so he's very careful to record at the very beginning. He says, this is, this is something where I have checked with eyewitnesses. I have looked, I have investigated this to find out what has happened. And, and then, of course, he tells it in his own way. He puts together the, the pieces in his own way as, as sort of any, any, anybody who puts together a biography or anything does. But he wants us to know this, this happened. He wants us to know who is Jesus. And maybe that's a question that you still wrestle with. Who is Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you're not entirely sure what you think about Christianity. Uh, we want you to know that you are, we are, you are welcome here. We are glad that you are here. Uh, maybe you're listening to this online. We're glad that you're listening to this online. And maybe you have that question, who is Jesus? And this isn't a question just for those who maybe don't believe, but this is a question for those who already call themselves Christians. That we need to understand deeper and deeper who Jesus is because, of course, and, and this is kind of working it from the opposite angle, at the heart of the Christian faith is this belief that, that Jesus is the incarnation of God himself. And so, if you want, in other words, if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. This is the, the, way, the, the way Christians understand who Jesus is. You know, what is God like? Who is God uh, who is the one who, who started this whole shebang, uh, you know, who undergirds everything? Who is this God? And the Christian answers, you look at Jesus, and that can tell you who Jesus is. That can tell you who God is. So that, that's what the Gospel of Luke is all about. And when you go through the Gospel of Luke, you discover certain things about Jesus. In the first uh, four and a half chapters leading up to the passage here today, we discover that Jesus had great wisdom. Jesus had great wisdom and knowledge, and, and so there's a scene when he's 12 years old, and he's in the temple, and he's, the, the religious leaders of the day are dumbfounded by his knowledge of the scriptures and is able to discuss 
with the rabbis, his understanding of it. So we see very early on the wisdom of Jesus. Then as we move forward in, in the book and in the story of his life, we see the strength of Jesus, the power of Jesus. We see him healing people. We, we see him helping those with illnesses and sicknesses that were seemingly beyond hope as far as they understood. So we see the wisdom of Jesus. We see the strength of Jesus emerging in the Gospel of Luke. And then when we come to this passage, we see all of that, but we see something even deeper. And that is that we see just how much Jesus cares. What this passage here, this, this story of this leper, shows to us at its very essence is just how much Jesus and therefore how much God really cares about us. So let's take a look at this. So, so what's going on here? This man comes to him, it says here in verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Now what was leprosy? Well, the word here, Leprosy refers, in the ancient world, uh, they of course didn't have the same kind of uh, medical knowledge that we have today. So leprosy was a word that referred to a wide range of skin diseases, skin problems, that sort of thing, uh, from very mild to very severe um, kinds of really severe skin diseases. And it seems like what he says here is that this man was covered or filled with it. So it seems as though he probably had a very severe case of leprosy or skin disease or whatever. And so it's possible, and we don't know this for sure, but let me just read for you a description of what, of what it's quite possible that he had. This is a nodular or tubercular leprosy. It says this about the condition. It says, it says it begins with an unaccountable lethargy and pains in the joints. Then there appear on the body, especially on the back, symmetrical discolored patches. On them little nodules form, at first pink, then turning brown. The skin is thickened. The nodules gather specially in the folds of the cheek, the nose, the lips, and the forehead. The whole appearance of the face is changed till the man loses his human appearance and looks, as the ancients said, like a lion. The nodules grow larger and larger. They ulcerate, and from them comes a foul discharge. The eyebrows fall out. The eyes become staring. The voice becomes hoarse, and breath wheezes. Uh, Maybe that's what's happening to me. I don't know. Hopefully, I don't have this. Uh, And the breath wheezes because of the ulceration of the vocal cords. The hands and the feet also ulcerate. Slowly, the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerated growth. Growths. The average course of this disease is nine years, and it ends in mental decay, coma, ultimately, and ultimately in death. So it's quite possible that a condition or something like this is what this this individual had. And and, and what we see about this then is that this physical this condition affects him three ways. It affects him physically, socially, and spiritually. We need to see all the ways, the comprehensive way in which this disease would have just absolutely crushed this this man's life. First of all, physically, we, we, I've already read that quote. You can see just physically what this was, but it's so much bigger than that, uh, that also socially there would have been remarkable implications for somebody who had this condition. Let me read to you from the book of Leviticus, which outlines what, what the rules would have been in that culture with regards to somebody who had this kind of condition. This is what it says of this person. It says, 
The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt. Maybe this really is me. I know some of you think I don't keep my hair very well. This is getting weird. Let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as, he has the in, as long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. So you get this picture of an individual who's not only just physically compromised, really beyond, beyond comprehension, but socially as well. This is an individual who, who has, when he walks around, he has to say, unclean, unclean, unclean. He has to let everybody know that they shouldn't get anywhere near him. Now, I, I hope you all had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving is a, a time when we're able to rest and relax, get away from the stresses of work and, and eat a lot of great food. But, but I think for many of us, it's, a lot of it is about family. It's about getting together with the people that we love and being in their, in their presence and I know that, that for me, probably one of the highlights of our Thanksgiving break was sitting on the couch, cuddling my children, and watching Boss Baby. You guys seen Boss Baby? It's really, really funny. And I remember just, I was just sitting there with my two kids, holding them in my arms, on the couch, just thinking about, you know, this was a pristine moment of, of what Thanksgiving and what life is all about. And this is a man who would have been completely robbed of this kind of experience. This is a man who would not have been allowed to, to live with his family, to, to even touch his, to hold his children, to touch his wife, to be, to be with them. He would have had to be completely removed from them. So we see the social consequences of this are beyond, I think, what we, we might even, even be able to Imagine. So it's not just physical, it's not just social. Thirdly, there were spiritual consequences for this as well. That actually the terminology here, when, when it says unclean, unclean, right? The, the man says he, he's unclean. This, this terminology, of course, recurs, occurs to the physical condition, but it also had an important religious and spiritual overtones. That, that in that culture, and this is what's important to understand, that many people believed that if you had some sort of physical condition like this, it was a sign that you were cursed by God. It was a sign that, that you potentially had done something or your family had done something which had breached your relationship with God. You were not right with God. That, that in that culture, basically, you know, a sign that you were right with God was that you were healthy. A sign that you were right with God was that you were prosperous, that you made a lot of money and and had a lot of possessions. And if you lost those things, then it was it was they begin to think, well, this must be because God, you've done something to breach your relationship with God. That's why you find in the book of Job, for example, that when Job starts having all of this, I mean, he starts he gets some sort of skin disease, he gets boils and all of this, and, and then he starts having, you know, tragedy after tragedy occurring in his family, and his friends are like, okay, what did you do? You must have sinned. You've got to get right with God because you obviously did something wrong, because that was the way they thought about 
It's not only is this man physically compromised and socially compromised, but spiritually compromised would have potentially seen himself as cursed by God. Of course, Jesus is just going to turn this whole thing upside down. Right? Jesus is going to turn this whole thing upside down, and, 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 and this, this is why, this understanding how they saw illness and how it was an indication that you were cursed by God, this is why they thought it was so bizarre when Jesus would say things like this, um, it, is, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He's saying it's really difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, And they're like, what are you talking about? If you're rich, that means you're already with God. You're already right with God. That was their understanding. And and Jesus turned it completely on its head and was saying, actually, prosperity can hinder you because, ultimately, because it distracts you from your need for God. That it distracts you from your dependency upon God so it can actually separate you from God. So he's turning this thing completely on its head for this man. For this man, he would have been brought up to believe that it was because of something wrong with him, something that, that he had done that clearly must have led to this condition. And Jesus turns it upside down. And Jesus shows just how much God cares for him. Shows how much God cares for him. First of all, the fact that Jesus touches the man. Think about that. It says here... With, which verse is it here? And in, in yeah, verse thirteen, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now think about that. If, if you actually were to go back and read in the chapters leading up to this, Jesus heals lots of people. Um, he heals a woman of a of a fever. He he drives out the demon possessed. I mean, some serious stuff here, right? And and guess what? He doesn't touch them usually. He just speaks. He just speaks and the healing comes. So Jesus did not need to touch him if all he was going to do was heal him. And so there's something about the fact that he touches him and it just shows how much God cares. You know, there, there, of course, there's, uh, it's remarkable the power of touch just in general. That there's a healing power to just touch in general. That, that touch, personal touch, is, is incredibly, incredibly important. And this is what we discover here, is that Jesus is showing, he's showing that he cares, and he's showing that he cares personally for this individual. It's not just a general care. right? It's not just a, not just a I have a heart for the poor and the sick, um, so I'll send money to support, you know, charities that do that work, which is a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. It's, it's that he cares personally for this individual. And this is showing us that this is what God is like. He doesn't just care in some sort of general sense. He cares personally about each and every one of us that, that, that he's willing to reach out and touch this man. Again, touch shows, shows care in a way that, that I think uh, you, it's difficult to find in really any other way. And the power of touch is so significant that, that my, my sister-in-law works in a, in, in a pediatric, she's a nurse in a pediatric wing, and so she works with newborns and babies, and, and, and when, she was, when she was being trained as a nurse to work in that environment, 
she was constantly being told, you must, it's all about stimulation. They need to be stimulated. You need to hold them. You need to touch them. That their growth, their actual physical growth, uh, can be hindered if they don't receive touch. That actually, I, I believe, and you can look this up to see if this is true or not, that there are, there are some studies that have shown that a child, that even if they get all of the nutrients, if they're fed all of the nutrients, they get all of the kind of basic biological needs met, if they don't receive physical touch, they can actually die because of this. That there's something about physical touch. There, another study showed that, that um, if you go into a, doctor, a doctor's visit, and if the doctor touches you at some point during the, the, you know, the consultation or whatever it is, puts their hand on you, they've done studies to say that, that people think that the doctor's visit was twice as long as people who went to a doctor who didn't put their hand on them and touched them. That there's just something about that that communicates care and personal care. And that's why Jesus touches you. It's because he wants us to see that God has this deep personal care for each and every one of us, this, uh, this idea that, that God cares for us personally and that God can be known personally. And that's what this is pointing to, this idea that, that God knows us personally and we can know him personally. This really became, for the Apostle Paul, very central to his faith. We discover that, that of all the things that when he came to know, to know Jesus, all of the implications that, that kind of came out of that, one of the most central things that is clearly true for Paul is that he came to realize that he could personally know God. And that in fact, he goes on in the book of Philippians to say, you know, that, that that's really the mark that you're, you know, a member of God's people, right? So, so Paul was working uh, within a, a religious uh, culture where the question was always who's in and who's out. Who's a part of the people of God and who's not a part of the people of God was always this sort of question. And the way the question was usually answered was, well, the people that are a part of of God's family, they're the ones that that are engaged in the religious and cultural traditions of the people of God. That's how you know. They're They're the ones that... Well, in, in that culture, they, they followed certain dietary laws, they obeyed certain religious, participated in certain religious uh, events, and all, all of these kinds of things, and it was deemed that if you did those things, then that was a clear mark that, that you know God. That's how you know that you're in. And what Paul goes on in Philippians 3 is to say is, no, that's all rubbish, as he says. <clears throat> it's actually probably a stronger word than that, to be honest with you, but that, that's how most translations put it. He says, that's all rubbish, that's, that's not what really marks you out as being a member of God's people. What marks you out as a member of God's people is that you know God. You know, you've come to know in a personal way God. And so this is why he says, it, famous verse in Philippians 3, he says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That at the heart of the Christian faith is that we have a God who longs to know us and to touch us and to be in relationship with us personally. We see the personal care of Jesus. Jesus cares personally. Secondly, we see that Jesus cares limitlessly. We see the the limitless nature of Jesus' care in this passage. Now, when it talks about um, Jesus healing this leper... Um, of course, as we've seen, there are physical and social implications of this, but also spiritual. And in fact, as I said, the, the term unclean, <coughs> excuse me, unclean was a term that, 
that really resonated at a spiritual level. And so I think it's important for us to understand this, is that what Jesus is doing is making, is making a very clear statement um, about how this man can be right with God simply by coming to him in humility, spiritually. And that's what happens, right? I mean, this, this guy comes and, and just, he just he falls at his feet while Jesus was there in the town as this man comes along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him. And here we get to the very heart of the Christian faith is that what is it that kind of gets us right with God? It's, it's not anything that we do. It's not that we perform in some sense in such a way that gets God's attention. It's that we come to him in brokenness and humility and say, God, I need you. And that then when we do that, then we can be reconciled to him through that faith that we can then enter into a relationship with Christ. So I guess I might just put it this way. I don't know how many of us here have leprosy. It's not, it's not a problem that we deal with too much in the 21st century physical leprosy. But I wonder how many of us sometimes feel like spiritual lepers. I wonder how, how often some of us we feel like our soul is covered with ulcers and laceration and all, and all kinds of, of, of just disease. How many of us sometimes feel like spiritual lepers? How many of us beat ourselves up over who we are as individuals? And, and, and at some sort of, maybe not conscious level, but at least at a subconscious level, we kind of wonder how it could possibly be that God cares for us. How many of us have that, that sort of spiritual leprosy that we, we, we beat ourselves up, maybe we beat ourselves up about, about our careers, that we, we feel like, boy, God gave me these abilities and I've, I've let God get down. I haven't used them to my fullest potential. And we, and we beat ourselves up saying, there's no way God could love me for this. Or, or, or maybe it's, it's a relationship that we have, we, we've done things wrong in a, in a relationship, in a marital relationship where maybe we've done something and, and we just look at ourselves and we see ourselves as sort of spiritual lepers because we feel like we've let our family down, we've let God down. How many of us, at some degree or another, find ourselves in a situation where we feel like spiritual lepers? The very heart of the gospel is that there is no limit to God's care for you. That it, it doesn't matter how far you are from God. It doesn't matter the depths of your spiritual leprosy. That we have a God who cares so deeply for you. And that's what this man comes to discover. My prayer for each and every one of you is that no matter what, no matter what you think, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, that you would come to know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who cares for you so deeply. He cares for us personally. He cares for us limitlessly. He cares for us sacrificially. 
we see in this passage that, that Jesus takes a great risk, right? He takes a risk in reaching out to this man. He takes a great risk in touching this individual who has, has leprosy, right? Because this is the way it works, right? Um, well, let's just put it this way. It's kind of ironic. I, I'm sick today, as you could probably tell. I have a cold, and here's how it works. I can't go up to one of you that's healthy and say, will you breathe on me, and then that'll make me healthy, right? Hey, I just need to get some healthy people to come breathe on me, and then I'll be healthy. That's not how it works. How it works is you should all stay away from me, because if I breathe on you, you're going to get sick. That's the way it works, that, that sickness leads to more sickness, Sickness leads to more sickness. Uncleanness, un- whatever, leads to more uncleanness. You know, it's, it's, not a, a, it's not a barrel of good apples makes a bad apple good. It's a bad apple spoils all the, whatever it is. You know, a bad apple spoils the bunch. It's that, it's that sin and darkness and death and sickness all leads to more sin and sickness and darkness and death. That's just the way it all works. In our world, isn't that true with regards to violence. Violence just leads to more violence. And so Jesus is taking a great risk here, right? I mean, he's reaching out and he's touching this man. What we see in here is a glimpse of the very heart of the gospel, which is that we see in this the great reversal. So I I lived in Boston for four years, I lived there in the years about 2001 through 2005. And there was one period when I was living in the city, and I would go running about three times a week. I'd go running along the Charles River. It's beautiful. And I'd go running, and as I was, was running, my route took me underneath this bridge. And on the bridge, there was spray-painted, reverse the curse. Now, anybody who knows anything about Boston history or baseball knows what that's referring to. It's referring to... You're sweet. You care. Do. You do care. <laughs> so, 1919. Mike, just you can help me out if I'm getting this wrong, right? <clears throat> okay, 1919. The Red Sox apparently had been fantastic before 1919. They had won a number of championships, whatever. In 1919, what do they do? They trade Babe Ruth to the Yankees, and it, it started this 86-year of the drought, known as the curse of the Bambino, right? Am I getting that right? And, and so for 86 years, they had this curse where they could, never, they could never win the World Series. And so at some point, 86 years in that time period, somebody sprayed reverse the curse up on this bridge that I would run under, right? So I live there from 2001, 2005, if you guys know your baseball history, you know I lived in Boston at exactly the right time, right? And so I was there in 2004 when they, when they were down 3-0 in, the, in the, the conference championships to the Yankees, and they came back, and they won four games in a row, and then they went on, and they won the World Series. And I, was, I remember I was down there. I was actually like, I watched one of the games in, in a bar right next to Fenway. I couldn't get into Fenway. But I was able to, uh, to watch it and kind of hear the crowd right, right next door. And so they go on and they win the World Series. And I'm not kidding you, the next day after they'd won the World Series, 
I go running along the Charles River, and I come up to that bridge, and it's gone. Somebody had gone up there and gotten rid of it. The curse had been reversed. And you see, what that, what's going on right here, that's a story that communicates precisely what the heart of the gospel is. That Jesus has come to reverse the curse. And what this right here, this story of this, of this man who, who his leprosy and Jesus touches him and heals him, and it, it goes the other way. The unclean doesn't make Jesus unclean. Jesus' cleanliness makes him clean is a microcosm for the entire story of the gospel, which is that Jesus has come to renew and to restore all things. The Romans 8, it says, all of creation waits to be redeemed. I don't know how many of you, there's some area of your life where you feel like there's a curse on you or maybe a curse on your family. Right? Maybe for you personally, there's, there's something that you've been dealing with for years and you've tried to, you, you've some pattern of behavior in your life that you've been struggling with and it's been very difficult for you. you it seems like it's just getting worse and worse and worse and it's causing more and more mayhem in your family. The heart of the gospel is if you come to Jesus, you can begin to experience healing, and he can turn that around. And maybe it's not just you. Maybe it's a curse that seems to be on your family. You know, it says throughout the scriptures, it says that the sins of our fathers are passed down one generation to the next. And isn't that true? Don't we see that that's true in our own lives, that as as children who grow up and then we become adults and then we become parents, we, we always say things like, I'm not going to do it the way they did it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it differently than my parents did in some area or whatever. And then you get into it, <coughs> excuse me, and all of a sudden you realize you're doing exactly what they did. And it seems like you can't, You can't break out of this. And and the heart of the gospel is that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we really turn to him, we can say this ends with my generation. This ends with my family. That the mess that came before, because of the power of God, he has come to reverse the curse. And through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, through our faith in him, we can actually begin to turn it the other way. So if that is you this morning, I would just encourage you, come like this leper, come like this man, and and, and fall before the feet of Jesus and present to God whatever that is and allow his grace to work in you and to turn that around. But this came at a tremendous cost. Right, I I say here that Jesus took a, a risk He risked getting leprosy by touching this man. But this just foreshadows the incredible sacrifice that he made. Because what's going on here? What does he do? It's It's like he absorbs this leprosy. He absorbs the weight of it and pushes back against it. And you see what that is? That is a microcosm of exactly what the cross is all about. That on the cross, Jesus, on the cross, God himself died to absorb the weight of our sin and our sickness and our death, to take it upon himself. He gave his life for us. 
We see that Jesus cares for us personally, limitlessly, and sacrificially. Just this past Tuesday, we had what we're calling a shepherding meeting. It's a meeting where we get together elders and deacons and community group leaders. And it's a, it's a meeting where we, we don't get together and we don't discuss uh, finances, budgets. Uh, we don't discuss, um, you know, how, how do we take care of the church grounds. So there's another meeting. There are other meetings for that. It's not a meeting where we get together and discuss what programs are we going to, to put on in the coming year, coming years in the church. We don't, we don't focus on what programs we're running. The whole point of this meeting is simply to talk about people, individual people. So yeah, we, we talk about you is basically what we do. We get together on a Tuesday, we're just starting this, and we talk about you. And the idea is we want to know what's going on. So that, we, we, so that we can be a church that can show you how much God cares for you. Because what is the church? The church is the body of Christ. That Jesus is no longer physically here with us, but he's given his spirit to the church that we might be the body of Christ, that we might be the ones that can go out. And, and that, that is my hope and my prayer, is that, that you would come, come alongside us and help us to be the body of Christ. And also for you, if you are in that situation, my prayer is that you could come to this church and know that you have a church that wants to show you just how much God loves for you, how he cares for you personally, how he cares for you limitlessly, and how he cares for you sacrificially. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you and we praise you for your abundant grace. We praise you that you are a God who cares so deeply for each and every one of us. That yes, you are all knowing. Yes, you are all powerful. God, you are all loving. God, I pray that you would give us the humility to acknowledge our sin to acknowledge our brokenness, that that indeed is the only thing that can keep us from you is our pride. God, I pray that we might come to you in humility and offer ourselves to you in all of our brokenness. God, that we might find your grace, find your healing. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.